This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where I'm going to remind everybody once again, if you are in need of a gift idea for someone you either know or even don't know very well, Zupan's is a great place to get either food items, of course, but I just bought some of their really nice napkins last night as a gift for people I don't know very well, and they have just an incredible selection of really nice napkins and tablecloths and runners and placemats, and that's, you know, for people who generally have to eat every day, those are good ideas, and so I strongly suggest if you're kind of trying to think that you need to get a gift and you don't know what it is, just head on down to Zupan's, do a little shopping, and take a look at what they have. Oh, yeah. When it comes to, like, housewarming, homewarming gifts, you can't go wrong at your local Zupan's with all that great stuff. Especially with the plants. Yeah. Great selection of plants and flowers there, too. And they're just beautiful, and they last longer than others. I bought some plants from a local market here out at the coast. They lasted one day. Hmm. Zupan's always last much longer they're fresher and more beautiful yeah uh take advantage of that also take advantage chris of some great stuff going on some uh things that are on sale right now double r ranch beef flank steak you're going to save nine bucks through the 18th of july or maybe you're a chicken person boneless skinless chicken breast from ranger four dollars off on that um they've also we we've been talking about this for some time they're house made marinated kebabs whether it's chicken or, or pork um you can't go wrong makes grilling this summer super easy just uh, buy them at your local zoopans and throw them on the grill well it's a good time for grilling and the other thing that you can do is save money on some really great buns and rolls from grand central bakery which you can get at zoopans a lot of the bakeries sell their their beautiful things through zoopans but you can get uh, two dollars off some hot dog buns and potato buns right now at zoopans very nice and we always recommend you you keep your eye on either zoopans.com or sign up for the news feed that's the uh the letter with uh gives you you know an idea of what's on sale. Sometimes you get a bargain in there, something for free, something uh, a significant amount off, or sometimes it's just a recipe. I'm looking at a recipe for fresh and wild swordfish steaks that are orange and ginger uh, flavored. So this looks really good. If you've like, if you're like me and you've never had swordfish, but you'd like to make something delicious, zoopians.com can help you get it. You just need, but you need to learn to, uh, cook that properly because you can you can make it a little dry swordfish was something we had all the time in the east coast and of course because it's zupans you can get things from all over the country and all over the world um uh swordfish is something you normally don't see on the west coast a real treat from zupans that's right three locations to serve you mcadam west burnside and lake oswego and as always go where for details zupans.com Right here it is time once again it is portland's food scene podcast right at the fork with your host chris angeles from portland food adventures and i'm court johnson co-host hey court are we allowed to say you're back from vacation yet sure yeah yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I i've subscribed to the uh, thought that you don't tell people while you're on vacation so nobody you know feels obligated to go rob your house yeah i guess i i have some friends who do that also yeah and uh if I did that, then I would never post anything because by the time I got back, I think nothing's 
I'd have to go over and spend all the time putting everything back on. So I, yeah. I, I kind of go as I go, but I'm no. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I like, and, and again, I'm subscribing to this thought that it actually happens. You know, for all I know, this whole getting robbed while you're on vacation because you posted something on Facebook is, is just, you know, right in line with that whole people putting razor blades in candy, which never, ever happened. Yeah. I kind of think the same thing. I, I haven't heard of that, yeah. where and, anybody gets robbed, but I'm sure it's happened. Sure. I'm sure people get robbed while they're home and posting on social media. Yeah, as far as I know, that's the whole idea behind, you know, people who go in and during vacation times, they go in and hit hit up places they know people aren't going to discover the, the theft for a while. But um, I've just, you know, less and less, you know, I'm trying to, this is going to sound cliche and dumb, but... Be, kind of be in the moment and think less about oh I got to post this stuff on on whatever and which is rough for people like you and I Chris who kind of make our living off of you know the this viral marketing that we're supposed to be doing for ourselves um, you know people being I've, aware so it's, a, it's I've a, gotten worse and worse at, at posting from restaurants like last night I was at Lorange mm-hmm. And I told Renee, I'm going to post this now because I won't if I don't do it now. Right. Because there, because historically or lately, I don't do it because I'm trying to focus on the person I'm with. And therefore, I don't have a lot of restaurant and food pictures on pla- nice places I've gone that I should post. That's kind of my business. And instead, yeah. what it's easy for me to post is when I'm walking on the beach, posting pictures of my dog right then and there. Right. Yeah. I got nobody I'm talking to. So that's it. And I, f- I really, I definitely realize my posting frequency has gone way down in the last year because. <laughs> This is when I should be more interested in making it work and Mm -hmm. figuring out reels and stories and all that, but I have less interest. Someday, it would be really nice. Court, we'll put this out there if we could find somebody to do social media for us at Right at the Fork and Portland Food Adventures, and I don't know if you have a separate need as well, but it, it would be nice to have somebody doing it. But the thing is, it's like when someone's in your kitchen and they want to take over, and you say, well, I may as well do it myself because I'm going to be showing you everything anyway. Oh, story of my life is, a, is at times where I've been a manager or have been trying to train somebody on something. I, I, I don't have patience with myself. It's less about them and more with myself. Right. It's like, yeah, I'll just do this. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's the double-edged sword. I, you know, in fact, we realized we went to, to Disneyland as part of our vacation that we're talking about. And we made it halfway through the day on our first day there. And my wife, Randy, and I were like, wait, have we taken any pictures? And so that's the negative side of it because the social media stuff aside, we're just not documenting, you know, family vacations the way you might have when you had the old school, either digital camera or something with film in it where you were intentionally documenting things were going on. So we'll figure it out. I tend to think, geez, did it really happen if we don't take a picture of it and post it? You know, you're still living life, and whether you're sharing it with everybody or not, um, you know, and sometimes I think people are just doing stuff for Instagram, too. Like, they're not really in the moment. It's all about the Instagram photo. So I don't know, but I'm no expert, and I'm getting to be less and less of an expert as time goes on. So, But somehow, you know, at least I was thought I was pretty good at this when I gained 
what, almost 11,000. I had 11,000 followers, by the way, for Portland Food Adventures at one point, and now it's down to 10, 8. It's just mm. been going down, down, down. So, all those uh, all those bots leaving you—is that what it is? I guess, but what, I, there's no way I could grow it to eleven thousand with the algorithms they have now. Right. So uh, I'm glad I did it when I did it, but still, it doesn't mean anything. Nobody sees anything unless I post a reel or a story now. Yeah. And that requires extra thought and care and time. And uh, it's not like I don't have the time, but I guess I don't know what it is. No yep. one wants to hear. Now, this. Chrissy, you need to get on. You need to uh, get yourself one of those thread accounts that Instagram has launched. I just, I just, you know, they. I guess they put that out there today, and I clicked, uh, you know, download and install. I didn't even know what it was, and then I saw a news story that Thread is a big threat to Twitter. All of a sudden, yeah. So I didn't even know what I was doing. That's why so many people <laughs> subscribe to it because I didn't. Oh, I thought that I thought this was the new real thing. Yeah, R E E L. So I have it downloaded, but I don't know if I'm going to yeah. use it. But um, anyway, thank God for the podcast. The podcast we're still doing, and we have the discipline to get it done. Um, and uh, I'm glad people have the discipline to listen. They should like and subscribe as long as they're disciplined. Yeah, please. Why not? Whatever, wherever you listen to us, whether it's through uh, Apple Podcasts or Amazon Podcasts or Google Podcasts. What else are we on? Spotify. Um, yeah. The iHeartRadio app, um, which I'm a huge fan of now that they are my primary employer. Uh, you should listen to us there. Oh, full disclosure there. Yeah, there I we guess. go. Uh, but, you know, yeah, it's hard not to find a podcast now. Or not to. There's nowhere... New York Times does their own thing. You have to be part of their app to listen to their. Oh, it's, some so it's of kind of it's kind now. of behind a paywall, which is it, I think a lot of stuff they're moving that way, where the, the business model you know makes more sense for them to do it that way. Um, right, but yeah, but we're still free. You just you have to listen to a couple of commercials, which we like to think are categorically appropriate, and people would like to hear from Zupans and Ringside. Sure, what's going on over there? Yeah. So, um, but we have, uh, I'm excited. I enjoyed this conversation today with Kat Whitehead, who is now the director of compliance at Meals on Wheels People, which is Portland's chapter of Meals on Wheels. And we get to hear from Kat what that's all about and what her life looks like now. But of course, we knew her uh, in her prior work life. Uh, at uh, development and salt at Salt and Straw, developing flavors and helping that business to grow to the crazy place where it is right now, including Disneyland, where you just were. Right? Did you see it? Yep, there on uh, in downtown Disney, and then uh, of course where I just was and where I currently am. There's uh, at least one Salt and Straw here. I think there's multiple now in San Francisco. Yeah, and so Cat takes us through to the moment when salt and straw had their food, f- a little teeny food cart outside of aviary which was her restaurant at one point and um i recall that too i think i was there one of the it, well, if it wasn't the first day it was one of the first days that the salt and straw f- food cart appeared outside of uh, our food what do, what do you call it, it wasn't really a cart a cart right it yeah was it was a, a cart part. It was the real cart yeah. um, outside of Aviary, and I remember having that at that point. But 
Um, she went on from Aviera to join those folks, and uh, we'll hear a little bit about that trajectory. We'll also hear about uh, her prior life in Connecticut, and so she lived a town up from where I lived way before we both became Portland people um, a long time ago. So, um, And her husband, Jasper Shen, has been on our podcast before, so you can search for that as well. He is the owner of XLB and was formerly, of course, one of the owners of Aviary as well. And uh, so I really enjoyed this conversation. It was good. And then we have another one next week. We don't do this very often, Court, because we've been kind of been going week to week by the seat of our pants by the seat and by well i i've always liked to be timely i've always liked to be kind of timely but uh after you listen to this episode with cat if you're not subscribed already you'll want to subscribe so you get an episode with the with joel stocks of l'orange so um yeah, this was fun, great episode, and in fact, we learned this is Kat's first ever podcast appearance, which surprised me. Oh, yeah. You, you know, for years we heard that all the time, that this is, I've never been on a podcast, I don't know what a podcast is. We don't hear that as much anymore. Everybody's on a podcast now. So, but Kat, we had the privilege of interviewing Kat for the first time, and I think she was great. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers and local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with Right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles, and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, I've seen yeah. you on Facebook, but face to face, I mean, it was aviary. Yeah, I think when we were doing an event, and I used to come in to eat and enjoy mm-hmm. a little coffee and conversation with you, yeah. with your des- with your wonderful desserts. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm actually, I remember when you asked me, like, one of the first things I thought about was when we first moved to Portland. Um, my brother came out to visit, and we didn't have enough bikes and you lent us a bike so that my brother could bike around town with us. Um, I think that's, you know, it's, it's incredible what I don't remember, but now you bring that up. I remember doing that. And yeah. I think it's kind of funny that I'm the guy who lent you a bike probably pretty easily because <laughs> I wasn't using it very often. It was a very nice bike. <laughs> it was, I think it was my, uh, 
It was my Trek, which is still sitting out there and has rusty handlebars. I left it outside for too long. Got to fix that. So, well, that was, a you know, it's like almost a generation ago, right? So when we all got here, so when did you get here? Was it 2009? Really early on in 2010. Okay. Well, I'm 2005. So, but still both of us. You're 14 years ago. You're a Portlander for 14 years. You're pretty well entrenched in this. Yeah. Are you happy you made the move from New York? Definitely. Um, You know, we moved out here and like Jasper instantly was just like, yeah, this is my place. Um, It took me like, I'd say like three years to really like feel comfortable out here. Um, But now I feel like we've built such a strong community. Like I can't imagine leaving it. And do you still feel that way after the last couple of years in terms of strong community and your your love of the area? Yeah, I, I would actually say even more so. Like, um, obviously, Portland, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's some stuff that I think is challenging. And I think a lot of us want to try to figure out how to work together to make the city stronger and, um, you know, take care of the community. But, um, you know, during the pandemic, um, we obviously didn't see a ton of people, but we did have a, a little a, a pod, like a really strong core group of people that we still, I mean, we're going out to a pickles game with them tonight. Like our kids play together. I, I feel like in a weird way, there was just a lot of like community building on more of a micro level. And probably going, you know, right now, that was probably just the start. You know, it feels like Everything is, and I, I'm not the best judge of this, but um, it feels like everything's just starting to turn the corner yeah. um, into, the, into the positive zone. Like we may have hit the bottom and, and yeah. start moving forward. So, um, well, great. And if I recall, you have, I'm pretty sure about this, you have some Connecticut roots too. We share that yes. as well. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Durham, Connecticut. Um, I think, are you, were you... Guilford, am I right about that? I was right down the right okay. down the way, and as a yeah. matter of fact, I was just there a couple of weeks ago, and we stayed mm-hmm. as close to Durham as you could stay, right off of seventy seven there. So, oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So, um, did you get time enough? I I gotta ask to develop a, a love for a certain, a specific pizza place down there. Um. Yeah. I, I mean, I, my family's always been Team Peppies, um, although I also like Modern a lot. And, and Sally's is totally great. You know, I mean, I, I love pizza, so um, any of those will make me happy. Um, especially- I'm glad you just you went bing, bing, bing on that. I thought, you, I, I thought it was going to be, well, I was in Durham and I was younger, so we didn't get down there that much. No, you went right for it. Have I'll you been to you- Durham? There's, I mean, you've been to Durham. There's nothing. If you, you know, you got to go to New Haven. fair. There's, There's the, the fair. fair. Yeah. And so, but it's pretty. <laughs> it's nice to go to on the way to Hartford from Guilford. I, that's yeah. the way I generally took. But so it's funny that you mentioned that because we went back just to do a pizza mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. For, we saw uh, there's a great documentary um, on the New Haven pizza places. Uh, for the love of pizza, I think it is. No, it's something okay. like that. But at any rate, we saw that one night. In, in the middle of the winter and thought we should go do that. So mm-hmm. and we had some credits on our Delta from the pandemic. So yeah. we just went back and I will tell you, man, I don't know if I'm going to get sued. This is a bigger company, <laughs> oh, no. Peppy's. Oh. It, it, no, it was good. 
I, you but, know, we ordered white clam and eggplant because you can't get great egg. I love eggplant parm pizza. That is the right. best, my favorite thing. In, yeah. Right. But not on the same pie, just to be clear. It was two oh, separate God, no, pies. Oh, God, no. No, no. No. Yeah. Two separate pies. And I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. Mm. Maybe it's my memory. Maybe it's my palate. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't hit me the way it used to. So it. Go ahead. I, say, no, I was just going to say, it's, I, I can't really speak to it because it's been so long. I haven't, I, I mean, it's, it's, oh God, it's been like 20 something years since I've had a, a pie at Pepe's. So, yeah. Well, all of them, except for modern, have changed hands. They're all, okay. they're, they've all been bought by somebody else and mm-hmm. they're, um, you know, they're bigger now. I don't know if Sally's yeah. is bigger, but I had a friend of mine who was a Sally's aficionado. Mm-hmm. And I asked her about it, and she said, no, I, I would go to Pepe's because they changed hands, and it's not okay. necessarily the same. Now, I don't know that. This is hearsay. Yeah. Fair enough. And, uh, and I know the, the sad part is we really wanted to go to Modern because I know the owner there, Billy, and we, mm-hmm. we, one thing led to another, and we didn't get there. So we'll have to go back. Yeah. Maybe we'll all go back. All right, that's enough. I don't think anybody decided to (laughs) tune into this podcast to hear about New Haven Pizza. I know there are people who are going to think, there he is again. (laughs) So, But there you are again, and now you're in a new position um, at Meals on Wheels People. I don't remember the people on there before. Is Is that something new that occurred? Well, so um, the thing about Meals on Wheels is there's different chapters all over the country. Um, so it's kind of like a, nas- a national umbrella, but each um, organization is kind of its own its own thing. And so we're the only Meals on Wheels people, um, and we're specific to, um, you know, the Pacific Northwest. We um, take care of folks in um, Multnomah County, Clark County, and Washington County. Oh, okay. Um, well, good. Yeah. That's got to be, so I'm curious as to, so your trajectory, I started knowing you as a pastry chef at Aviary, and I know there was time before that as well, mm-hmm. and your husband is one of the nicest guys in show business, yeah. Jasper Shen at XLB, mm-hmm. where, you know, you were at uh, Aviary years for years with him, and Sarah, whom we'll talk mm-hmm. about in a little bit, um... So you you then went on to what I think is one of the coolest jobs you could have, which was research and development at this little place called Salt and Straw. Yeah, um, I I still I, I also agree it was an amazingly cool job. Um, still can't believe that I lucked into it. Um, but yeah, I got to the place where I was ready to step away from aviary and kind of wanted to step away from restaurants in general and. You know, when we first opened Aviary, Jasper and I used uh, when um, we met Kim and Tyler, and they, you know, they had the cart in front of the restaurant, and then when they, they opened their first shop on Alberta, and yeah, like phenomenal success. And um, we used to joke like, if Aviary fails, we're going to go work for Kim. So then <laughs> I left Aviary. Well, I was doing the pastry part time, but I left Aviary full time. Had to find a job, and so I called up Kim and was just like, "Hey, I'm looking for a job. Do you have any openings?" And, yeah. <laughs> or do you ha- can I put a f- can I put a cart in front of your ice cream shop? <laughs> um, but yeah, and so I they she and Tyler um, sat down with me. We talked, and I started doing production baking, and then helping Tyler with R and D on the side. And then you know, as the company grew, and we kind of um, opened more shops, moved into diff- you know moved into Los Angeles. Um, there was just more and more in R and D, so I started doing that full time, and then. We hired other people to do R&D and I got to be to manage them. And then I 
eventually ended up as the director of R&D. So it was, I mean, it was still kind of like, you know, pinch me, like, knock on wood, is this really happening? Well, also, there, there was that, that you were there, but also in terms of salt and straw, is that really happening yeah. to this little, I, this little place that you remember as well as anyone, and I do too. I remember I, somehow, I think it was the first day they had the cart outside of Aviary. I walked outside after dinner and got some strawberry, black pepper, balsamic ice cream, took it home and was like, holy shit, this is like nothing I've ever tasted. So to watch, to be there while Salt and Straw was expanding so rapidly and incredibly across the country in really cool locations must have been something else for you. It, it was. You know, I remember very clearly that first day and it was like, I think it was like, it was raining. It was, maybe it wasn't the first day. It was, it was like the first week. And it was pouring rain and I think Neil was running the car and he was kind of like huddling under the, the Umqua bank, like awning. <laughs> and we're looking out there and we're like, oh. It's such a shame. She's such a nice person. Doesn't obviously, you know what she's doing. And okay, a little bit wrong on that one. <laughs> but then, yeah, like I remember when I started baking. And we, so at that point, we were doing everything um, up on the second floor of the Northwest shop. And I like looked down through like the store windows. And it's like a rainy Tuesday at like maybe 1, 2 p.m. And there's a line snaked down Kearney Street. And it goes like, I can't even see the end of the line. I'm just like, whoa, this is, this is big. This is really, really big. Oh, you're talking about when they opened the first shop at that se- point. Second shop. So this was, they had, they, I, um, they right, had this- the Northwest shop. And I, when I was baking there and I just, I couldn't believe how busy the store was. Like, I, I remember that too. Well, I remember always walking by there at any yeah. time. It was like, it's like, wow, there's like a Disneyland in the middle of on Northwest. Was it 23rd yeah. or 24th? 23rd. 23rd. Yeah. Right. It's like Disneyland here. You can't get in. And then, of course, we all learned the secret, which is to buy pints and mm-hmm. just go to the front. Skip the line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you didn't get to do the tasting. That was half the, half the fun. Tasting yeah. of your research and develop the fruits of your labors with research and development. Um, you know, we don't talk about food too much, but what, what can you uh, recall one of the most surprising flavors that you came up with that you thought may not have worked that ended up being pretty popular? Um, yeah, for, I think it was the green fennel and maple, um, for the first vegetable series. Um, I, that's still one of my favorite flavors that I've created. It's really simple, but just like it, um, was just kind of like we took, uh, whole fennel bulbs and juice them, um, fronds and all, and then, um, kind of cooked that juice out with toasted fennel seeds and maple. Um, and so it was kind of, yeah, so it was like the bulbs, the fronds, the seeds, the maple kind of like reinforces that fennel taste, um, a little bit more salt than you'd expect. And yeah, it just, I don't know. It, for me, it was, it was, it's kind of, I, I, I didn't create honey lavender, but that's also one that was one of Tyler's flavors. Um, but it's kind of the, to me the same thing. Like it's just it's a really complex flavor in a very simple like presentation. So how does that come about? Is that because my best thinking happens in the shower, in the middle of the night, in bed? How do, how does how does someone decide? Well, let's figure out fennel and ice cream. Um. You know, a lot of it is, yeah, you could, sometimes it is waking up with this crazy idea or just like, 
it, sometimes it's for me, it's kind of like um, things get stuck in your head in a weird way. And you like kind of like an earworm of a song and you're just like keep thinking about it. And then like you try to figure out how to how, where you can go with it. And I I'm always like an, a learning through failure person. So I usually make it and it's awful. Like, OK, well, that didn't work. OK, now I know it doesn't work. So now I can try to like keep engineering it. So was this a specific vegetable pro- project or were you having pizza and thinking, oh, the sausage <laughs> in here, the fennel is great. Let's, let's work this. Um, I think it probably did initially come from eating pizza with sausage, um, but it was, it was a vegetable-specific menu. We'd been talking about the idea of doing a whole vegetable menu, which I thought, was re- I thought would be really fun. And um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know, just the idea, somehow the idea of a green fennel um, ice cream just made a lot of sense. Well, good. I think, you know, that's a dream job for a lot of people. Yeah. Not only chefs, but just just think about all the kids who make cakes and uh, enjoy the kitchen at a younger age. And, you know, of course, they love ice cream. That would be that would be the current iteration of wanting to be a fireman or something or, or a firefighter or um, and it, sounds, it seems really exciting. So was it always exciting? You made the transition to Meals on Wheels at some point. So what was the impetus for that change? Um, I mean, I think part of it was just I had I did it for a long time. I was there for um, eight and a half years. And, you know, I kind of going back to that sense of like, I'm worried about what's happening in our community. I want to help be part of this community solutions. Um, I think for a lot of people, the pandemic was a time when you started thinking like that. And um, so that was kind of like rattling around in my head. I'd always been interested in working in a food-based nonprofit. Um, and then, but then, you know, I, it, this was a unicorn job. This was like the best job you could have. And so I was like, how can I walk away from this? That's crazy. And when I said that I was going to get, going to leave, everyone who knew me was like, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was the scare, so incredibly terrifying. Um, but I guess I, I, I can't really explain it. I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And so I actually, I left and I took a little bit of time off. Um, and then I started job hunting and it was really hard. I'm really bad at job hunting. I hate cover letters. And I was trying to write these cover letters explaining why, you know, this, uh, why I thought that my experience was a parallel for what I, the position I wanted, even though I didn't really have that background. And so I, it was kind of crickets, you know, I'm sending out all this stuff and not hearing anything back. I'm like, oh my what, God. What were you looking for? Because you said you didn't want to be back in a restaurant. Right. So I wanted to work for a food-based nonprofit, like a food bank. Um, and so there, you know, Meals on Meals was actually one of the places that I kind of had on a list of that would be really cool to work for. Um, so yeah, I just applied for, you know, kind of was just typing in nonprofit and Indeed and just seeing what popped up. And I, you know the time's going by and I'm not hearing anything like I blew up my life and, you know, kind of hoping that like, you know, salt and straw, Kim and Tyler will call me back and be like, we can't do this without you. And you know, <laughs> like, what have I done? What have I done? But then, um, I saw a position with meals on wheels and they hired me. So that worked. I would imagine well. you'd be, in, you know, <laughs> aside from some of the other things, you know, you were in some, you had some great positions, but just the salt and straw would yeah. would be uh, anything any employer would take a look at and get, their eyes would light up, uh, especially doing what you were doing. 
there. Um, so, but you went into uh, f- uh, food at Meals on Wheels, and now you're in a new position. Yeah. So I, I've actually, so I started there um, working at one of at the site out in Gresham, and kind of helping with meal delivery and like in person dining. And then um, when a position, the food production manager position opened up in the kitchen, um, it's like, okay, this is like literally my background. I check all the boxes. So I moved, I applied for that position and moved over to the kitchen. And then um, a few months ago, um, I had the opportunity to move into the director of compliance position. So that's what I'm currently doing. Um, So I, you know, make sure that we're following all the best practices in terms of our food safety. Um, And then also I... um, supervise our dietitian team. So all of the meals that we make are vetted by dietitians. Um, we're also part of the Food is Medicine Coalition. So we serve medically tailored meals, which is the idea that you, we can um, specifically craft meals to address um, very precise nutritional needs, and they can help people stay healthier or people who are chronically ill, we can help reduce hospitalization. Is that a customized thing, or do you have a general program, a course for diabetics or, you know, uh, different different diseases? Yeah, so right now it's a general program. Um, you know, like if someone has, like, kidney disease, try, um, there's different stages. So there's, you know, people who have kidney disease um, who are not on dialysis, people who are on dialysis, so things things like that. Um, there are, you, I mean, within that, within the idea of um, medically tailored meals and like prescriptive diet, like you could actually craft something for someone um, specific, you know, with like their weight and, and their exact health conditions. And that would be ideal, but we're the volume we do it at. That's, that's not where we, what we can yeah, realistically that wouldn't do. Be practical. And it's yeah. expensive too. So that's not the, yeah. the idea. Well, so how do you, how did you, or how have you, generated your knowledge base so that you know how to, uh, you know, take care of that? Or is that not necessarily your job to develop recipes um, so, specific to that? Yeah. So my, my job isn't specifically like, I'm, I'm not a registered dietitian. I, I don't have that, that level of um, in-depth knowledge to, to be able to do that. But um, I, I, so I kind of bridged that field. Like I, at Salt and Straw, um, I became very fami- familiar with nutritional software and how to generate nutritional panels and, and labels. Um, and so I can, I can, and, you know, having done a, a decent amount of production, like I can basically um, work with, a work, I can do R&D to get a new meal into production. I can scale it up. I can build it into the software and then I can work, and then I can um, work with the dietitians, and I can source what they need, and they they kind of are making like those micro adjustments, and I'm just kind of, I'm 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 relief and support for them in order to like get this across the finish line. Oh, that's so. What does your day look like when you go in? Are you sitting at a desk all day? Are you are you in a kitchen? Are you meeting with the recipients of your uh, of what you do? Um, so right now, um, a decent part of the day is, um, at the desk, like there's a lot of, um, you know, computer work. Uh, I'm also on the floor as much as I can be, you know, I do the daily QA checklist, um, you know, as we're training new procedures, um, with the team, I, I try to be involved as possible with that. Um, I, and we have, you know, a ton of volunteers that I get to interact with, which is wonderful. Our, our volunteers really are amazing people. Um. I don't get to see clients very often, um, which I, I miss. Um, that was something that was really 
eye-opening when I was at the center. Um, you know, obviously in Portland, there's a lot of visible poverty with people who are unhoused, but there's also a lot of invisible poverty. And you'll see someone who might have a house, but it might be falling down around them. They might not be able to afford to turn on their heat in the winter. Um, and when you do client visits, you really see how um, few resources some folks have and how or just how isolated they are and how important that, you know, that conversation you have when you deliver the meal can be. Yeah. And also I would imagine there are a lot of people who have to take the initiative to say, I've got a problem and that's yeah. not easy for people that, the, you know, there's pride involved and there's, um, so someone's got to identify that. I'm yeah. sure there are folks who do that, but mm -hmm. in many cases, if someone's isolated, Who's there but maybe a friend or a family member to say this per person needs help? Yeah, and oftentimes it is family members. Um, you know, after people will visit their, their, their parent and realize that their parent needs more support than they can provide. Um, sometimes it's their medical providers who realize this person's struggling and they'll refer them to us. Okay. So, um, and how you haven't been in that position very long, right? It's been a little over a month, or is that just what, when I read it? <laughs> it's been a few months, but not very long, no. Okay, so what do you like most about it? Um, I like the challenge of it. It's a huge, um, oh, sorry, my dog is walking around in the background, if you hear shuffling. Oh, I don't see that, and it's okay. We've had, I've had my dog barking on this podcast. Okay. So. You, um, do you yeah. need to do something? Do you need to handle no, nah, he's just he's just chilling. He's just walking around looking for oh, okay. a cooler spot to sleep. Um. <laughs> well, we're only audio anyway, so okay. this, this cool. is, we're good. Um, I like the challenge of it. Like it's, you know, it's 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 um, a huge step up for me professionally. Um, and they've been really supportive about um, providing professional development, continuing education courses, so that I'm just I'm learning so much. Um, and it's. It's, I wasn't expecting it, but it's really fast paced. So I, I have a lot on my plate and um, I feel like the days go by really fast, which is something that I enjoy that kind of reminds me of being in restaurants. Do you miss restaurants at all? Anything you miss about being in a restaurant? Um, you know, geez, I don't, you know, um, it was, there were some crazy fun moments. Um, and, and kind of like that adrenaline high after a super busy service that you like did really well at and didn't go down in a ball of flames. You're just kind of like on top of the world. Um, I miss that. But at the same time, you know, I don't really want to go out every night, you know, and party. I'm happy to be a parent and have a, you know, a, kind of a, a, an early morning schedule. Um, I, How yeah. How are your kids now? Um, I just have the one and she's eight. Eight? One. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't necessarily oh, okay. remember one, but I, no, that's cool. somehow I always assume if there's one, there's probably, there might be <laughs> a lot of terms. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd ever, I would never want to go back to restaurants. Like I honestly, I plateaued pretty early on. Like I kind of hit like as high as I knew I was going to go and just like, this isn't for me. But I do love working with food. I love feeding people. Um, and I really enjoy the, like the, the challenges of, man, of manufacturing. I like the scale. I like the logistics. I like spreadsheets. I get to do a lot of spreadsheets. Oh, that's good. I, I need some help. <laughs> I, I, I'm, help! 
<laughs> Happy to help. Um, yeah, no, I, I need simple things like how to attach one uh, workbook to a, uh, one field or one cell in a workbook to another. Oh, yeah. I always have um, to go to, I know that's easy and I've done it, but then I have to, <laughs> a year later when I'm doing it, because I don't spend that much time with them, yeah. I have to go look it up. So. Sure. Not easy. Well, that that's cool. So do you... Are you still, yeah, you were well loved. And of course, when Aviary, you know, opened, it was a really interesting place because it did so well right off the bat. And then you had your fire. So the whole community in a very Portlandy way got behind Aviary and was ready to embrace you when you reopened. And then everything did really well. And then, holy shit, that, <laughs> this is my perception. Yeah. Then every, the, there were a lot of next shiny things over the next few years in aviary. Yeah. Had a, I always thought aviary was always consistent and one of the best restaurants in the city, but it was, it's like a lot of other places. It had trouble um, generating attention when there's all these new places opening yeah. up by great chefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, like we were, you know, from the minute we opened aviary, like the critical, um, reception was fantastic. Um, but it was never a restaurant that made a lot of money. You know, it broke even like it was, you know, we're able to keep it open for a long time. But I think that is something that, you know, like, and and it was a restaurant that was kind of hard to define. Um, you know, our, when we opened it, our PR team kept being like, like, just give us three words to describe yourselves. And we couldn't like, you know, we were like, modern global no that sounds horrible like we, we couldn't figure out how to like make ourselves like marketable to be honest with you um, well i think the three words were jasper cat and sarah that was that, <laughs> yeah. that's what i thought you were a very you know i thought you were a good team well let's mm-hmm. let's as long as we just mentioned sarah yeah. i think we have to since we have you and you were in business with her for years. Um, that was a shock. And that was yeah. very sad last year. How did it affect you? Um, yeah, I mean, it was horrible. Like, um, uh, we're ta- by the way, we're talking yeah. about Sarah Pliner, because we can't assume everybody knows right. what's going on, who was uh, killed last year on her way to work on a bicycle by a truck. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, yeah. Terrible thing. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, like I said, you know, we opened Aviary. Um, it didn't make a ton of money. So the three of us were, had, you know, we had put everything we had into the restaurant. Sarah had taken out a second mortgage on our house. Jasper and I had put our entire savings in, as had Sarah. And so we opened this restaurant without really any reserves. Um, and we're basically working um all the, you know, doubles every day, six days a week, um, cause we couldn't afford to hire any, um, other kitchen staff and it was stressful. And, you know, Sarah and I weren't necessarily the most compatible people to work together. Um, but you know, there was no option for me to step out. Um, and so it was, it was hard. Like we had a lot of great moments. I think we all put everything we had into working. And I think that, there was a lot of um, respect and, and obviously, you know, one thing that's kind of, we talked about more in the, in the beginning, we were talking about the restaurant as collaborative and it was meant to be, but pretty, I mean, very much from the get go, like the fact that Sarah was just so incredibly talented and so much more talented, like the focus of the food and really like the, 
um, the reason that Aviary was so critically acclaimed was because of Sarah and her talent. And I think um, I feel really guilty that that wasn't always brought up. We kind of was always filtered through the lens of the three until, of us. It wasn't until it was, in my perception, it wasn't brought up until it was just her. Yeah. And then everybody realized, man, it's, it's still it's still, what it, it's, yeah. it's still, it's yeah. still great. But I think when it was the three of you, I didn't know how everything was, was divided up and that mm-hmm. it, you know, so, um, you did it. Well, I still think it was a, it was a cool thing that it was the three of you, but yes, um, that didn't come to the fore until I think she was on her own. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I wish that that had come out. I wish that we, we didn't, we didn't, no one did it to be, um, deceptive. And Sarah certainly was, we, we all kind of, the three of us just felt like this is how we had branded the restaurant. Like, you know, we, we just kind of stuck to the course. Um, but I, I do feel guilty. I feel like I've had all of these amazing opportunities in my life. And I think that a lot of them have been because of aviary and, um, proximity to Sarah's genius. Um, and so even if she and I were not personally close and had some rough times, I am incredibly grateful that I got to work with her. And I do feel very, very guilty and very sad that she's not with us anymore. And I'm, and, and I, well, and I, I'm sorry you feel guilt, but I don't necessarily know that that is, that's probably a personal thing and I'm not a therapist, <laughs> right. and I'm not, yeah. but I just, you know, I feel like as though, um, you know, you all had an opportunity and you all did the best you could. And Sarah was on her way to opening yeah. her next place and everybody, yeah. I think that's not necessarily guilt, but everybody felt really bad that yeah. she was, did not get to prove her next new thing or even just live it um, yeah because that was her life in the kitchen and it, so it totally was and honestly like I think she had to make a lot of compromises with aviary and this was her chance to really do this a hundred percent on her own so I think it would have been spectacular I I do I think it's horrible that she wasn't able to do it right and so yeah something on her own and something uh, that would have been the the next new shiny thing in yeah. 2000 to whatever 20 something as opposed to you know working from an older restaurant that wasn't in the headlines and eater all the time it was tough to do but she you know she was nominated she was nominated for beard awards correct Mm -hmm. i believe so yeah and so well um sad very sad to think about and uh Mm -hmm. sorry and i never I hadn't seen her uh, even when she was working with Rick at Bluto's, which I thought was an interesting position for her, but a good place for her to, it was a good place during the pandemic, I think, for her to hang yeah. her hat for I a actually, while. I did. I actually am really glad that I, I saw her um, a few months before it happened Well, at Bluto's. And yeah, we had a nice, we had a nice talk and kind of had a very, a really not a reconciliation. There was never, it was never a not, it it never needed a reconciliation, but it was nice to see her and catch up. Right. I have a few of those folks Mm -hmm. in Portland that it's just nice to see once in a while and feel like, Oh, we had a nice conversation, not only in Portland, but in life that happens. Chris, we are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat in Portland an institution as it were, Ringside Steakhouse. 79, over 79 years. 
I remember we were just saying 75 years, so time's flying, and uh, and we're coming up on an 80-year institution in Portland, uh, Ringside Steakhouse, where now, something they didn't have for most of those 80 years was, an, was outdoor dining, and their patio is awesome. And um, it's really nice spot to eat. They have they have some heaters out there if you need them. It's really pretty. So whether you're eating, you know, when you eat at ringside, you can either eat in the beautiful dining room, the bar. Now you can make reservations to eat in the bar or outside. Lots of choices there. In addition to lots of choices for different cuts of steak, right, Court? Yeah, I was just telling you this off air. Chris, I went just recently with my wife, Randy. Uh, you had been telling me, you got to get the Wagyu. You got to get the Wagyu. I, I finally did um, because there's so many great items to choose from, and I just hadn't got to it yet. I went with the olive-fed Wagyu, and easily the best steak I have ever had in my life. I, like, yeah. I was dumbfounded by it. It's a treat. It's not something you're going to get every time you go in there because it's a little expensive. Sure. But I've seen it for way more elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's something if you have, you know, a couple of times you get to say, just like you did, that it's the best steak you've ever had. And they have it. They have different options, too. So olive, olive fed is just one of them. The food, the food is delicious. And the service is absolutely bar none. The best in town. We had Colin serving us and just the best service the entire night. Best food. If it's a special occasion, if it's not a special occasion, Ringside Steakhouse is the place to go. Yeah, it will be. Just go in there. It will turn into a special occasion. There it is. So, uh, and they also have food to go now, and they even on their website they've got a, a scrolling banner. Ringside steaks are on sale, so that's a good opportunity as well. So they are on West Burnside. They're open. Let's give the hours here: four thirty to nine Monday through Thursday, four to nine thirty Friday and Saturday, and four to nine on Sunday. And, of course, set up those reservations. You can do that through the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com, or on the Open Table app. How is uh, Jasper doing at XLB? How much time do you get to spend as a family? I mean, that's been open for how many years now? I'm going to just add four to whatever I think (laughs) it is. But it's been open for a while, so he's got to have that rolling by now and so perhaps a little more time to spend at home yeah um so gosh he opened it i think in the um at very end of 2017 beginning of 2018 i think um and yeah it's been um it's been great like the you know the first few years were really hard he um had to work a ton and um you know test was pretty young so i was uh, you know, another thing I'm so grateful for Salt and Straw, they've always been incredibly supportive of me as a parent. Um, and they were, I mean, there were definitely some times where I picked Tess up and then brought her back to the kitchen and we kept on working on something. But um, yeah. I would imagine having a kid in the kitchen is helpful. They they were cool. Try with this. <laughs> what do you think? I think mostly she was, she was like just hanging out, having some McDonald's. But um, she, yeah. But so... Um, it, the last few years, like he's been able to really, um, you know, he's had a, he's had a, um, a lot of staff who've been there for a while. Um, his business partner, Lynn is amazing. And, um, he's been able to really kind of build a schedule that allows him to line up with my schedule. So he's had most weekends off. Um, 
which, yeah, for two people in the food industry to like have weekends off and be able to take vacations, it's pretty, it's pretty unbelievable. With an eight-year-old too. I mean, that's, you want to be able to do that. And, you know, that's the goal when you start a restaurant. It makes me very sad to hear, and I'm sure other people as well, that you weren't really turning a profit at Aviary. It's so, it's one of the things that has always I, I guess the word is impressed, but it struck me mm-hmm. about restaurants, at least in Portland. You know, I remember meeting John Gorham when he just opened Tasty and Sons, right? Mm-hmm. And he had Toro Bravo and he had Tasty and Sons. And we were talking about cars and he mm-hmm. said, well, I have at the time, I don't remember. It was like a 2003 BMW. And he said, well, maybe someday I'll be able to get a newer one. And I just thought, holy shit, in yeah. New York, he'd be driving in a Ferrari. <laughs> And so it is the case, especially, you know, even back then, before the pandemic hit, now we know there are labor problems and um, it's very challenging, but it was challenging back then. And it's even more so now you got to feel for everybody. It's, it's so hard. Um, You know, you really, especially I think fine, fine dining restaurants, like have the the margins are just really, really tight. Um, And they just got tighter. Yeah. Especially, yeah. I mean, food costs have gone up so much since um, we were, since we had aviary. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, XLB um, is okay and is doing really well. But I, you know, every the costs on everything have gone up. It's something that across the industry people are struggling with. And you can, you know, you don't, you know, that your customers are also dealing with um, the the financial impact of of inflation. So you don't want to raise your prices too high. That's the paradox yeah. is yes. And, and people realize that and whether they, whether they realize it and are sympathetic or not, they can only afford so much. Right. Anyway, um, I was just speaking with uh, a good friend of mine and yours, Gary oh, Okazaki, yeah. Yeah. Um, who, by the way, when, we, when he, we did our event with you mm-hmm. at Aviary, he was in a suit. Uh-huh. You know, flannel suit with you know, looking great. And I yeah. just went out to eat with him the other day and he had a uh, tank top on. He's going to hate me for saying this. Oh, no. It's hilarious <laughs> that he's gone from a suit to a tank top and, and, and isn't bashful about it at all. I think it's great. But we were just talking. <laughs> that was a little bit off on a tangent. <laughs> it's okay. That it almost feels like Portland has become more expensive than dining in New York City all of a sudden. It's things have changed quite a bit. And we had both, I had just been to New York and mm-hmm. that was expensive actually. Yeah. But it depends on where you decide to go. You can find, you know, reasonable dining opportunities in New York and you can in Portland too. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, things, things have changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Do you get out much? Um, in Portland? Um, yeah. Do you get out to eat? <laughs> Either do you have date nights with Jasper or you go out as a family? Uh, more so family, um, just because we don't have any extended family in the city. Um, but yeah, Tess, Tess loves to go out to eat. Um, we, you know, tend to stick to um, favorites, but we've been to, you know, we've been lucky. We've been able, we've been able to go to a, a lot of, um, you know, the places that have opened, um, do you have any favorites without with the I'll give you a blanket disclaimer that I'm catching you uh 
on, uh, off guard here and you didn't really write a list of all your <laughs> friends to make sure they were on it. Right, but yeah. Do, do you have any favorite spots that you like to go that are that are kid-friendly or not kid-friendly? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the we, te- you know, the places we go to, um, and, and, and I, I know I'm going to leave some, some wonderful right. stuff out. Um, but we, we really like, um, Guero. We go to Grassa a lot. Um, Bui natural tofu. Um, that's oh my what I've never heard of. <gasps> oh my gosh. It's this, it's a little storefront. Um, so they make, they make some of the, like, if you've had like the lemongrass fried tofu that a lot of restaurants will buy, or sometimes you can see in stores, like they make, they make it in the back of their shop, but they also have a little lunch counter where they do like salad rolls and some Vietnamese, um, little like specialty dishes. And oh, wait a minute. Is that in Alberta? No, it's on Gleason and 76. Um, Oh, okay. It's across know. from the House of Bon Me, but it's totally recommended. Um, really, uh, how do you spell that? B W O E? Uh, no, um, B U I. I might not be pronouncing it properly. Oh, B U I. Okay. Well, um, but don't very, ask me for pronunciation <laughs> help. Very much recommended. Um, I I like um, Padi a lot um, and Hot mm-hmm. Yai. Um, Nongs, of course. Uh, I think those are, again, not, not a company. Those are some good ones, but it seems that you are an Asian food fan, and I guess that's not surprising. (laughs) I definitely lean that way, but we, you know, we've also, we've, we've, um, an Italian, I think anything with carbs, I'm I'm a a carb fan. Yeah. (laughs) I think, I think I can do that too. Yeah. So yeah, pasta. Mm-hmm. Grasa, grasa for pasta is pretty good. So, what do you? What are your uh, goals at Meals on Wheels? What do you want to accomplish that your predecessor may not have? And that's not a competitive thing. I just mean, what do you want to do? Um, you know, with with your uh, position over the next year or two. Um, I honestly, I think it's more just um, like in general with like um, compliance and and and. Um, you know, good manufacturing practices. It's always to that lens of like current good manufacturing practices. So it's the idea that things are always changing and evolving and we're going to do the best that we can today, but we might learn a new way to do it tomorrow. Um, that also a big thing in manufacturing is continuous improvement. So I, I love that idea that just, um, just kind of never being like, okay, I've done it. Now I can set it and forget it. Like I always need to keep going back and making sure that it's the right way to do it. Um, and then, I'm really excited about expanding our medically tailored meals options. Like you said, there's a ton of different um, health conditions that we can um, craft meals for. And so just working with the team to um, increase those options, I'm really passionate about increasing our plant-based options. Um, so, yeah. And how many, how many uh, people are you serving in the community um, I, I don't know the, fra- the time frame, daily, weekly, monthly. I don't know how you look at it. So, oh gosh, I, you know, I don't honestly know the most recent number. Um, our client load fluctuates. Um, Just approximately. I would, I know that we serve about um, almost 29,000 meals a week. Wow. Yeah. Um, and we changed our delivery model during COVID. Um, and we actually are able to serve a significantly higher number of people. So we don't deliver daily. Um, we, do, we um, make the meals, um, freeze them, and then deliver weekly. 
Oh, nice. So if someone is uh, on the program, are they doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or are you just making sure they get one it good de- meal a day? It depends on their needs. Um, you know, so when they when someone signs up, um, our client services will kind of analyze like what their needs are and um, and will um, provide the number of meals that they need. That we um, have most of our clients get one meal a day, but we definitely have clients who get two or three. Oh, no, and. And th- there's a lot of fundraising going on. I remember when I did some work for the auto show, they were there. And, of course, a lot of dinners that I've gone to have featured uh, yeah. a charitable um, opportunity for Meals on Wheels. Is where, Do you know? It's not your job, I know. But do you know where most of the funding comes from? Is it private, public? Um, I, I don't. I, I, and I don't want to... Um I don't want to guess at it. So I, I No, I wouldn't want you to guess. Yeah. I'm just curious if you knew um, cuz I don't know I don't know these things. I haven't really been involved with it and um, I do know I mean we're we're we definitely have a, a lot of private funding and um, we're so heavily volunteer staffed like we the majority of our of of the people who um, are part of Meals on Wheels are part of our volunteers. So that's definitely a huge um, component of what we do. Um, well, that's an exciting way for the for people to get involved too, and I think a really good cause. As I get older, I'm starting <laughs> to think about yeah. those things. <laughs> what am I going to do in ten years? Right. Yeah. So, um, well, that's good. Um, are, do you have any uh, travel planned with uh, with your family this summer? Are you going to you have some time, or you just started your job? Yeah. You don't necessarily have time off yet. Well, I actually I have. To- I have to shout out Meals on Meals. I do. So we, it's a four day work week. Um, so I have a three day weekend every some every weekend and oh, um, nice. it's a really good work life balance. We also, um, very generous, um, vacation time and, um, holiday time. So, um, we're going to be doing, um, a lot of camping with friends this summer. Um, going to visit my cousins in Colorado. Yeah. Oh, nice. Let me know if you need a bike. <laughs> I will. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> I, I know where it is. I, I think I need to put air in the tires. I'm not riding much on the coast. I get my dog. We go to the beach. So, yeah. um, well, that that amused me that I, I kind of forgot that. And, uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. And I and I will once again say, long after the fact, I do appreciate the fact that we got to do. A little event together. If I recall, it's easy to recall, actually. Mm-hmm. So we had it planned, and then the fire happened, mm-hmm. right? So you stuck with it, which, by yeah. the way, thank you for doing oh, yeah. that. Of course. You, didn't need, you, had other more, you had other things to do when you came back from a fire to open. <laughs> but if, that night that we ended up doing it, I believe it was in January, it was a driving snowstorm. Yes, and I re- I remember, <laughs> actually, I, I think I gave you a really hard time. Um, and now that I've, like... I'm not so panicked with like reopening the restaurant. I, maybe I was a little <laughs> harsh, but like, I remember you calling and saying like, Hey, we might have to cancel it. And we were like, like, no, we can't cancel it. We've got all the food. You have to, you're like, I don't know if people can come in this weather. <laughs> That's not an option. I, I listen, I, <laughs> I think I understood that less then than I do now yeah. after hearing all the, trials and tribulations after the 2017 weather shit that happened all the restaurants in Portland and then then the pandemic so I totally get that now Mm -hmm. but in those days I was like well if the reality is 
Right. I don't yeah. know if people can come, but but people were, you know, they wanted to get there. I don't. Th- I don't think we lost. I don't remember. I'd have to go look, but I think we had yeah. all but maybe one. I think there was one, I if so. I recall. All but one person uh, out of yeah. I don't know thirty something. So yeah, it was a, it was, was great. Cool. Yeah, it was a beautiful night, and I mm-hmm. and I appreciate it, and I appreciate it's two things. Having that, being able to meet you back then, right? So it's very cool that we knew each other and we haven't spoken in years. Yeah. And that I have this podcast to be able to spend, um, you know, an hour with you because we haven't done that in years. We never got to do that before when we were at the restaurant. It was like 10 minutes. How's that dessert? It's great. I really appreciate (laughs) it. You guys are awesome. All right. You have to go. I got to go. That's what it was. And so that's one nice thing about this having this podcast is it enables not only me, but of course, listeners to get to know you better. And, uh, you know, we didn't go into a lot of personal things here, but I think it was nice to have the opportunity to catch up, see what you're doing now, get some thoughts. But oh, just Mm -hmm. as long as we're talking about thoughts, and I just touched on it. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about the restaurant world right now? Do you think? Are you optimistic about restaurants, not only in Portland, but you know, all over the place, being able to survive and figure out uh, compensation, you know, front of the house, back of the house, that's a little less of an issue now, but labor is. I'm ha- I have difficulty coming, you know, I'd like to start my events up again, mm-hmm. but mostly when I talk to restaurant owners and chefs, they're having a very hard time committing to three or four months out what, how they're going to serve on a particular night, uh, yeah. 40 people in the restaurant. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot going on in the restaurant world. There's also been this reckoning in terms of how people are treated in the environment um, that you create for your staff. And so I think a lot of people are trying, you know, I mean, when I, you know, when I started, it was in New York, it was um, a little bit more of that kitchen confidential world. It was often very abusive, um, a lot, you know. And I think people are, are really trying to um, change the experience of being a worker in a restaurant. And I think that's fantastic. But obviously, you know, trying to pay people a more fair wage um, is, is challenging. And I, I think it's important. I think it's the right thing to do. Jasper thinks it's the right thing to do. Um, and I think a lot of restaurants also agree with that. So it's a challenge, but it's something that I think people are working towards and hoping to solve. Um, and I think... I think things are just shifting, you know, fine dining is harder to do and harder to be sustainable at. Um, more places are, are moving to that fast casual model. Um, it's easier to staff. Um, it's easier, I think, in terms of labor. Um, it's easier to keep the cost down. And I, I'm hopeful that, that, um, people will still be able to do, um, innovative food and still really show, their creativity, but it, it just, it's not, I don't think it's going to be in that, that Noma type of food. I think it will, it will really switch, switch. No. And I think also as the, you know, just with, as with everything, mm-hmm. as we have a generational uh, progression, let's say. So as older people are eating out, they have different 
goals when they're eating out. I think younger market is way more used to fast casual and they're way more used to delivery. Yeah. You know, I, I have to confess, it's not my thing and it's not my thing to pick up a box and take it home. Um, I like the experience of a restaurant and I like service, mm -hmm. but fast casual has its place for me. I was just last couple of days, some couple of places that were fast casual we can all do it but i think over time those things will all get figured out and people get become more used to them and i think restaurants will learn from each other mm -hmm. on how to do this i mean one of the things portland's got going for it is a pretty tight-knit community so if someone figures out a program that helps to make things sustainable and profitable you can bet it's going to get around and tried with others yeah I remember the days when uh, a few restaurants tried no t no no tipping and just raised their prices, and I just couldn't believe that didn't work. But a few tried it, and there's back to yeah. it. A few were trying it again. I think I personally think it's the great model if people could get around, get, mm -hmm. wrap their minds around it. Um, I like it, but who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Um. Well, listen, thank you so much. Is this, is, is Friday your day off? Oh, yes, it is. You yeah. said that. Yeah. So that's why we're able, you're able to sit here and feel relaxed. Um, yep. <laughs> doing this. I hope, I hope you feel relaxed doing it. I know you, when we started, you said this wasn't necessarily your thing, but um, I hope you enjoyed your time on here. And I know yeah. our listeners will enjoy hearing from you. No, it's, I mean, it's cool. I've, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've never been on one before. Um, yeah. It's, seriously? It's, seriously. I've, I think the last I've done, like, I've done a lot of like, um, paper, like interviews or like for online publications. But I think the last time I had like, well, I've done some TV stuff, but like audio was like, was like, I did it. I did like a public service announcement, um, for like, um, no fireworks after the year after, um, we had our fire. Cause that's, that's what caused the fire at aviary. And I don't know. Um, I, I guess I sounded really weird. I made it sound like I was going to be patrolling the rooftops like on the 4th of July. It was did not go super what, well. Was it extemporaneous or did, was it scripted? Um, I, I can't remember. Um, it's, uh, but it, uh, you know, it's funny. I may have gone off that. script. Yeah, well, sometimes <laughs> that happens. But it's funny that you say that because, you know, we started doing this podcast in mm -hmm. uh, 2000. 14, mm -hmm. January. We had to tell people what a podcast was at that time. Yeah. And we never had a guest who had ever been on a podcast for about five years, mm -hmm. the first five years. Now, all of a sudden, I'm hearing, oh, yeah, I've done this. And uh, you're seeing other people show up on other podcasts. There are no other local food scene podcasts that mm -hmm. I know of. Yeah. Some have come and gone. But um, but there certainly are enough podcasts where uh, chefs and restaurateurs or people in the business have opportunities to get on certain types of podcasts, local or national. So mm -hmm. we've seen that. But I still can't believe you haven't been on one yet. Such, yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we had uh, we had your inaugural experience, yeah. and uh, <laughs> it, it's a pleasure. By the way, and I, I think. Court and I will mention this in the intro. Mm -hmm. We did have Jasper on. I don't know what episode it was offhand, but yeah. we will have already mentioned that. But Jasper's been on. Yeah. Um, and you know, he does so much media. I was like freaking out and he's just like, no, no. And he's, 
it's just, it said the same thing you said to kind of talk me off the ledge. Like, it's just going to be a conversation. Like you've had many conversations with Chris. Like you don't, you're not like, you know, you're not performing. You're just having a conversation with Chris. Like, okay. Okay. Right. And meals on wheels isn't on the line. Like meaning, you know, if you say something, you're not, we did have one guest on who shall remain nameless who had his attorneys listening to the whole thing oh. and ready to call in at any one moment. So no. that's, not, that's not the kind of thing that would happen. No, and I talked we, to our, I told our CEO, like I asked her if, this was, if it was cool if I did that. And she was, she was so supportive. She's like, oh, this is so cool for you. Like, great, go do it. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, we should have your CEO on sometime too. She, I hope she she's would be a, she, Suzanne would be a fantastic guest. She's What's Suzanne's last name? Uh, Suzanne Washington. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, yeah, I think she'd be an amazing guest and she'd really be able to, to, to tell you all the things that I don't have answers for. Right. She, she can't say, I don't know. <laughs> and she, <laughs> she knows everything. I don't think there's anything she doesn't know. <laughs> How long has she been there? Um, I want to say like between seven and nine years, but okay, that's I could a, be wrong. She's the, that's a good period of time. Yeah. She knows her stuff. And she that's does. a key person. You know, you and her, I tip my hat to you because you get to wake up every day thinking that you're really making a difference. And um, that's cool. Not, <laughs> I, I reach for that. How am I making a difference in the world? Well, my dog is happy. Um, but so I really appreciate the fact that you're, you, you do what you do. And a lot, I'm, there are a lot of people who probably can't thank you, who want to thank you and who's, listen, we're talking life or death when, 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 you know, we're talking about nutrition for people in their, in, as, as they move on. So good for you. And, uh, it sounds like you're enjoying it a lot and it's really cool to hear your progression. Listen, the challenges you went through. At Aviary, all of them, they're all worthwhile because they brought you to where you are now. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for them. I'm great. Like I said, I, I feel like I owe it. I owe everything I, I did at Aviary to where I am now. And, and, I, and I learned a lot, you know, so it, yeah, it's definitely worth it. Well, good. We'll look forward to catching up. Uh, hopefully, you just personally before then. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily over a bike, a, a <laughs> bike need. We'll have you know, to. If you get out to the coast, let me know. I was going to say, um, we'll, but, we'll bug you next time we're out there. Yeah. Oh, it's not going to be bugging me. It'd be, it'd be a pleasure. But um, also, uh, maybe a few years down the road to see how things have gone there and what you've learned and what you've accomplished. Absolutely. I'm sure it'll be a lot. Knock on wood, right? All right, Kat. Thank you. Thank you so much. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right at the Fork.